If you're going to self-manage your rental properties, you know I'm a big fan of finding that proper tool to get the job done. Well, we want to tell you about RentReady. RentReady is a really awesome property management software that allows you to manage your business from your computer or phone. Collect rent online and get paid. Find that perfect tenant with their screening and listing services and get your leases signed with the click of a button. And tenants really love using RentReady's app too. They can pay rent using card, ACH, or cash, set up auto pay, get renter's insurance if you require it, and even build their credit score through RentReady's new credit reporting feature. Did we also mention that RentReady is unlimited and all of this is flat priced? No tricks or hidden fees. RentReady is designed for people to manage their own properties so you don't have to worry about paying more for building your business. You can start managing and scaling your rental properties without scaling costs. And RentReady has given us an amazing deal to pass on to the REI Mastermind Network. You can get RentReady's annual plan for only $54 at RentReady.com when you use our special code MASTERMIND. That's RentReady.com, R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I.com with code MASTERMIND, M-A-S-T-E-R. M-I-N-D at RentReady.com to get RentReady's annual plan for only $54. We're rolling. Welcome to the House Dudes Podcast, where we invite you to follow us on our journey towards financial freedom using the power of real estate. I'm Jack Haas. And I'm Josh Koth. Here at House Dudes, we believe in a couple key principles. Number one, the best way to retain information is by teaching it to others. And number two, a rising tide lifts all boats. We're not competitors, we're a community. So let's get into some real estate investing. Hey, we're always looking for new ways to add some additional value to our residents while adding some additional income. Well, here's your chance. Take a look at a new app in the iOS and Android app stores called Express Mask Delivery. This is a way to add some additional value to your residents while increasing your revenue. Again, it's Express Mask Delivery. Make sure you use the offer code JACK to unlock some additional benefits. Again, Express Mask Delivery. Use the offer code JACK. So we got Brian Elwood with us here this week. And Brian, really appreciate you joining us. But why don't we start things off by having you introduce yourself to everyone? Yeah, thanks for having me, Jack. And sorry, I didn't send you any kind of a bio. I'm slightly disorganized my podcast game. Um, So my name is Brian Nowood. I live in Denver, Colorado. I'm originally from Tennessee. I did the whole corporate America thing there in Nashville for years and hated it. And then read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, you know, similar story to a lot of people. She's like, well, I've got to get passive income figured out because, uh, you know, working sucks And so I started out in wholesaling, like a lot of people do, because I'm thinking, Mm -hmm. well, I don't really have money, so let me do something that doesn't require money and it's less risky. And did pretty well, you know, in the wholesaling arena. I kind of almost got like hypnotized by that whole strategy and just went all into it. We built a big wholesaling business, you know, doing seven figures a year for four years in a row, did a lot of fix and flips too. But I really had just created a job for myself. I was busier than I had ever been. I was waking up and I'd look at my day and it'd be like, you got a call with your sales guy, you got a call with your office manager, you got a call with your operations person, you got a call with your project manager. 
And so I didn't really enjoy what I was doing, even though I was making pretty good money. Mm -hmm. And then I somehow kind of remembered, you know, the whole reason you got into this, Brian, was passive income. You wanted to have freedom. And uh, so years later, I changed my focus and me and my business partner started acquiring rentals as fast as we could. We got, uh, you know, two or three dozen rentals and like, wow, we can actually kind of pay our bills now with this passive income because we always kept our expenses really low. And so we actually shut down all the wholesaling and flipping stuff. This was several years ago. Mm -hmm. And since then, all I do is buy rentals. And then I also teach other people how to do this as well. And I try to encourage people to go kind of straight to, to the rentals and bypass all the other stuff that I got stuck into for a while. And that's my, my biggest passion is I want everyone to wake up and <clears throat> get to live their ideal lifestyle and have control over their time and do what they want to do all day. And so that's, uh, that's what I do now. Sure. So uh, it's, it's interesting, you know, a lot of people, you said you, you did it very successfully with the wholesaling. Um, a lot of people kind of uh, try to, they dip their toes into that, but the, the, that's kind of also becomes a big barrier to, to get the mindset right that uh, it's even possible because, you know, a lot of, a lot of the gurus, when it comes to the wholesaling, it's, it's all about basically getting it under contract and selling that paper. And until you do it once or twice, it doesn't even seem possible. Um, t- let's talk a little bit about that that journey. Like, how did you start? If somebody was looking at wholesaling, you, I know you're, that's not something that you're you're really teaching or looking at anymore. Mm-hmm. But that is typically where people start. I mean, we even if it is enough wholesaling to generate the income for their first rental property. So yeah. how, did, how did you get that ball rolling? I mean, getting it up to seven figures, that's, that's quite the accomplishment for a wholesaling business. Yeah. And I glossed over that really quick, of course, but there was a lot of trial and error in there. Um, the very first thing I did was actually I found a guy who was a successful fix and flipper in my market mm-hmm. and I begged him to mentor me and he had me sending out yellow letters. And so I... Uh, you know, I found deals for him and he would pay me $1,000 finders fees or bird dog fees. Sure. And so for a full year, I was too scared to do a wholesale deal. I just got leads and I said, I don't know what to do here. Talk to the seller. Mm-hmm. My tax return that year was like eight grand. And that was the eight deals that I found that guy. <laughs> but I learned so much about marketing and, and, and whatnot, deal analysis. And so eventually like we came across a, a deal that he didn't want to buy. And he's like, do you want to wholesale this? And so we co-wholesale that together. And it was like a $20,000 profit. And I got 10 grand all at once instead of these thousand dollar checks that have been all spread out. And I was like, Oh my gosh, that was easy. I can do this on my own. Um, and so, and then I ended up partnering up with another local guy who was awesome. And we, he and I together, as the sales guys are doing the marketing, doing everything, we were able to get the business to two or 300 grand a year gross. Mm-hmm. Um, but what really lit it on fire was hiring our first and second acquisition managers to go out and do the sales for us. And then just 
double, triple, quadruple down on the marketing spend. And I do want to say, because everyone thinks they hear that, they're like, wow, everything you know, he touches must turn to gold. How come I can't build a million dollar wholesaling business? That's not true at all. A big, big part of my success in that was timing. Okay. You know, mm-hmm. back in 2012, 2013, you could send out postcards and get like a freaking 10, 15% response rate. There wasn't right. a lot of competition. It was a lot more of a buyer's market. So keep that in mind, guys, you know, that the market we're in today in 2020 is the most challenging market that maybe has ever existed for real estate investors. Mm-hmm. It won't always be this way, but it's real challenging right now. For rentals too, I'd hate to be a wholesaler right now. I don't even think I could build a business back up to the seven figure mark uh, wholesaling right now if I wanted to. So market and timing is a big part of success too. Sure. So then you, uh, you transitioned to holding rental properties. What do you focus on right now? Is it single family homes? Are you going, getting into multifamilies? What does that look like? Yeah. So I, really have only done single families, duplexes, triplexes my whole career. I got enough of those to pay the bills. So I achieved like the proverbial um, financial freedom that Kiyosaki talks about. Um, And so I'm I'm content with it, you know. However, looking back, I think smaller multifamily probably would have gotten me there a little faster or had some economies of scale or certain things, ways you can save money if you have 10 doors under one roof versus 10 spread out. Um, I did get a lot more appreciation possibly from having all the single families than multis over this market Mm -hmm. and the way it's been. Nowadays, I am selling some of the single families that have lots of equity and putting it into a 1031 exchange and looking for smaller multifamily. I almost did a, a six unit deal. It just fell through a week ago, foundation issues, but that was going to be like my first true multifamily deal, which would be mm-hmm. five units and up. And, you know, it wasn't a big deal. It was actually easier to get the loan from the bank for that because commercial lenders are just like, okay, what's the, what's the cap rate? Uh, let me see your LLC's tax return. And they approve the loan in like five days. Whereas, mm-hmm. you know, for residential, it's like, are we going to need you to chop off your finger and mail it in? Yeah. So, um, so now I'm realizing like, I think it was just my mindset that has been holding me back all along from buying like a 10 or a 15 or a 20 unit building. Of course, it's more due diligence and a little more risk, I guess, if you got it wrong. But now that I have some chunks of cash from the single families appreciating to apply towards that, uh, that's where I really want to go now. Sure. So w- let's talk a little bit about your the evaluation process you go through. Do you first of all do you pretty much invest in your backyard or are you across across the the states or how does that look? Yep. So I started out. You know, my wholesaling business was in Tennessee. So when we switched to buying rentals, those were in Tennessee too, mm. and <clears throat> but. I moved to Denver where I live now, kind of in the midst of that and kept doing it long distance. Uh, we were still wholesaling and flipping long distance too. And I've since expanded into Alabama, some other cities in Tennessee that are, you know, an hour away from Nashville. And so now I'm doing it all virtually. Sure. And what do you, what is the process? Like, do you still send out 
are you trying to find off market deals? Are you getting them out, most of them off the MLS? How does that look? So I've never bought a property off the MLS. It's always been off market. With the wholesaling, it was all doing direct mail and doing our own efforts. When I switched to just buy and hold, I found working with wholesalers and property managers was an easy way to find deals and not having to like talk to sellers yourself or send out marketing. But that's gotten a lot harder to do in the last six to 12 months, especially because of COVID. Uh, I used to see 10 wholesale deals a week and now it's like one. So I think that, you know, sellers are not as excited about letting people into their house right now and all that. Mm -hmm. So me and my clients are all going back to direct to seller marketing over the last handful of months and seeing a lot better results. So we're going back to direct mail. We're sending uh, yellow letters out with a different copy. We can talk about all this if you want to, but the copy is a lot different than what you see out there. The list is very niche, very targeted. And we're having a lot better results with that because mm. wholesalers are kind of in this place where they're like, no inspection period, you know, $3,000 hard earnest money required immediately and all this stuff. And they have all these other offers coming in and you can't really make an intelligent decision if you don't have a, an inspection period to get a contractor in, to get a home inspection done. When you're investing long distance, you know, you have to have someone else that's an expert go look at it before you mm. can definitely buy it. And so we found that direct to sellers is the best. I really honestly think I should have just done it all along. I just got a little lazy and wanted people to just send me deals. So, Sure. So let's talk about this marketing. You, you said that it's, uh, it's a little different than what uh, wholesalers would be sending out. What, what kind of text or what, are you, what kind of message are you putting out there? Yeah. So you know what most people are putting out there, right? It's just, Hey, oh, yeah. we buy Fast houses. Cash. Buy now. We I want to buy, buy your house. Yeah. yeah. Have, you, have you ever thought like, I wonder if that message is a little played out, you know? Yeah. In fact, I changed, I, we, we sent out a, a message once to see the response. Mm -hmm. You know, John Martinez. Yeah. I love John. Yeah. yeah John, uh, we went kind of, uh, crafted something based on some of the stuff he teaches and uh, we basically sent a list of saying, we buy houses in the area, but we're not a good fit if, and then we lit, put a list like a bullet point on there saying, we're not a good fit if you're looking for top dollar. We're not a good fit if, if you want to do all the repairs and updates yourself. We're not a good fit. And we sent that out. Um, unfortunately, the only people that called me were marketing people saying they liked my marketing. <laughs> <laughs> interesting, interesting. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd be curious what your list was too, like what the criteria for that was. Cause that matters as well. Um, uh, but that's funny cause my messaging is somewhat similar to that. And, you know, it's very much like the, the way that John taught you to write that is he's a great salesman, right? It's what he mm -hmm. teaches. And so sales is all about positioning and you got to be in the power seat and you can't be like, please tell me your house. You have to be like, you know, we, we're probably not a good fit to work together. You know, like that's just the, the ultimate positioning, you know, that um, makes it's like in, you know, back in the day, the guy that got all the girls was the guy who played hard to get right. Mm -hmm. You know, you got to play hard to get, even if you're secretly kind of desperate for what you, you know, for deals. Right. And so my copy is, 
you know, it starts out with, are you sick and tired of getting all these letters and postcards from people wanting to buy your house? You know, most of these, most of these guys, uh, they, they don't even have, they don't care whether or not selling to an investor would be a good fit for you or not. They just want to steal your house away at the lowest possible price, you know? And then I just say like, if you want to have an honest conversation with a real guy about what are the pros and cons of selling your house to an investor, just shoot me a text and let's find a time to chat. And so it's very much just like I might, I get like a 1% response rate for that. So what is that? A thousand letters, you get 10 calls. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you all, every one of those 10 calls is like, hi, Brian, my name is Alyssa. My property is one, two, three main street. I got your letter. I want to talk. It's mm-hmm. not what the hell are you sending me these postcards for? You know, those are not leads, right? Yeah. So you got to start the relationship off in the power seat right away. Uh, and that's, so I think one thing that investors, I, you know who Mike Hambrad is? Mm-hmm. Uh, Flip nerd. He, uh, he said something one time. He's like, real estate investors are, are just, they stay about five years behind everyone else in terms of like mar- marketing. Mm-hmm. For some reason, they're always just kind of stuck in the, in the stone age of marketing. And it's true, you know, like to be a great marketer, you've got to study copywriting, right? The only purpose of the piece is to get them to open it. The only purpose of the copy is to get them to call you. And then when they call you, the only purpose is to get them to, you know, sell you their house or or talk to you about it. So you need to, what you write on that letter is extremely important. And so you've got to read some of the great copywriting books and learn how to just write a message that gets people to stop in their tracks. You're spending all this money on marketing. Why would you waste it with a watered down message? So I encourage people to think about the, like they always say, enter the conversation that's going on in your, in your, in your prospects head. So something about COVID would be great right now. Mm -hmm. Something about all these other investors annoying the hell out of you would be great right now. But you want them to open that up and be like, oh my gosh, huh, this is like a breath of fresh air. Finally, this is something different, mm-hmm. you know? And so that to me, and it also feels good to me. It feels authentic to me to send a message that I believe in. And that's important too. Yeah. Well, that's that's just it too. You know, the the stuff that we've always gotten more traction when it comes to marketing is is always been the more authentic, almost off the cuff type of stuff you know when we're posting on our Facebook page because of a different rehab and we ask like what color should we paint the front door you know it's it's those real-time authentic actually in you're talking to a couple guys that have been working in IT most of our lives so you don't want us picking the color of the front door we're genuinely needing some help. Then <laughs> it's those type of things that get the, the best response. Yep. You're absolutely right. I think it should be authentic to you and you shouldn't just copy what other people are doing, you know, and be like, well, this guru says to send this, like we buy houses postcard, you know, well that person may not be a marketing expert. They just got that idea from someone else who got it from someone else. And I heard that referred to one time as marketing incest is when everyone is just doing the same thing, Mm -hmm. copying each other. 
And so you don't, you want to separate yourself from the pack for sure. You know, that's, that's a really strong point because um, more times than not, when I get a phone call, I'm getting a phone call too saying, I am so sick of you guys. And because if, if all of the marketing looks the same, the, the, most of the people receiving it see us all as one entity. They don't see us go. as, as an individual company or, or they're getting it from multiple sources. So you're being penalized um, by all the other letters that they received that you didn't even send. Right. Right. And now <laughs> we're getting the, like, I've told you once, I've told you a thousand times, take us off your list. Well, you've never called me to tell me to do that. Yeah. But and think like, like I have a coaching business, right? And I send content out to people via email every day. Mm-hmm. Now I want you to imagine if I sent an email to my customer lists of potential people who might be interested in learning from me. And I said, this is your third notice. I've been trying to reach you. You know, I have something right. important to say. Like that is the spammiest thing ever. Yeah. yeah. Um, that would not work on any stratosphere uh, in terms of like any other business. Right. You know, what would, what would you say if like the pizza company started saying like, this is your third notice. We've been trying to reach you, you know, and then you, you call them and they're like, yeah, would you like to buy a pizza today? You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, it wouldn't work. So why would it work for real estate? You know, you, you've got to just go beyond this like stone age marketing. It's, it's <laughs> funny that you bring that because we are, my very first mailing was exactly that. We sent out something saying third and final notice. And at the time we did it, I was like, this just doesn't feel right. This is just so yeah. weird. Um, but we just followed the advice and we did it. Um, we did get a lot of phone calls because it does drive a lot of reaction, but it's not, it doesn't drive the action. <laughs> yeah, it works. Like as long as you don't care about pissing off tons of people and making lots of people nervous and thinking that something bad's going to happen to them. And so they call you and then you're going to rope some of those people into a conversation and kind of shift gears and talk about, you know, selling their house. We sent a lot of those back in the day too it definitely works, you know? So I'm not saying it doesn't work, but um, I just feel like now it's working very, very poorly because Mm -hmm. it's been played out and it's just so saturated and it was never great anyways, you know? So it's just time to change it. So let's change the topic a little bit. You, you say you buy mostly single family homes as, as your rental rental strategy. Um, what are your requirements for acquisition? Like, what, so how do can you give us an example of uh, so how those some of those numbers work out? Do you start with the one percent rule? Every most people seem to start there, or mm-hmm. or is there some other strategies there? Yeah, so I like the Burr method. So I like to be all in purchase plus repairs around seventy percent of what it will be worth at the appraised time. That way I can do the deal for little to none of my own money. So let's just say I get a house for 40 grand, you know, and I put 15 into fixing it up. So I'm all in it for 55, maybe 60 after closing costs. I'm going to need that to appraise around 80, 85. And if it does, I can get the a private lender to give me all of the you know, the purchase plus rehab money. And then within 12 months I can refi with the bank and 
they'll give me 70% of what it appraises at. And if that comes back at 85, they're going to give me about all the 60 that I owe the lender. And so therefore I can do the deal with little to none of my own money. So that's equity. Um, the other one is cash flow. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to end up with two to $300 net per door. Mm-hmm. Um, and a really down and dirty way that I like to do this, I'll just whip out the calculator and show you is the, the 1% rule to me is like, that's going to be like a break-even rental. It's not really going to cash flow that well. And so I aim for 1.5. I know it's challenging to get, we can talk about where I'm finding deals like that in a market like this, if you'd like to, but Here's a down and dirty way. If all you guys are like, how in the world do I know if something's a good deal or not? You know, if you're listening to this show is take the rent. Okay. And if you know, like look at like, just put it in rentometer or something and just median rent in the area, 850 or something, 850 in the calculator Mm -hmm. divided by 0.015. Okay. So you divide it by 0.015. That gives you, the all-in price that it would you to make it a 1.5 percenter, okay? Rent divided by 0.015. So if rent was 850, you'd really want to be all-in at about 57 thousand dollars for it to be a good cash flow rental. You're going to probably be around two to three hundred dollars a month net if you know, if that's the case. Mm-hmm. That is that is a great tip. Like um, but w- like you said, where do where are you finding? one and a half percent returns right now for. Yeah. So it's challenging right now, you know, like even the markets where, you know, it's historically really cheap. Like you go into like an Indianapolis or a Columbus or something like that, Jacksonville, Florida, you know, you've got a lot of cheap markets like Huntsville, Alabama, you know, is like lots of 50 K houses there and 60, 70 K houses. I invest there but they're like hard to find. There's just so much competition and focus there that the deals are getting snapped up. It's driving the prices up too high. So here's what I recommend. Um, If you, I'm going to assume that people listening to this have already picked their market. Like they, they already kind of know where they like, I invest in Houston, Texas or whatever. And I'm also going to guess that you're probably having trouble finding deals in that market right now that makes sense at the price that they're being advertised at. So what I recommend and what I'm doing is you look 30 to 45 minutes outside of your market. So I want you to literally pull up the map and pull up your market and then like draw a big circle around it and check out all those smaller towns because if they're 45 minutes or less away from the core market, people can commute to work from the outer town. So the economies are kind of connected because you could like live in, uh, you know, Clarksville, Tennessee and drive to Nashville. It's 45 minutes. And so you can, and then in those smaller towns, like nobody's looking for deals, not nearly as much. Everyone's Mm -hmm. just fighting each other and the water's all bloody in that bigger city. And then there's all these little small towns where there's not a lot going on. Um, But you can use the same property manager for those small towns. You can use the same contractor. You can use the same title company, the same private money lenders, the same bank. So your same team that you built can go 
do deals for you in those. And if you pick a great market to start with that's growing, mm-hmm. it's probably going to grow into those smaller areas anyways. Right. Um, you don't want something that's like less than 30,000 people though. So don't pick a town with 5,000 people. You're just not going to find a lot of tenants, you know, that are going to want to live there. Um, but that's a key adjustment that I would make. If you're listening to this and you need to find deals and you're not including at least two or three little fringe cities in your marketing efforts. And if you're not doing any direct seller marketing whatsoever, then those two adjustments are going to be what gets you back in the game. Sure. That's really interesting. You know, the, uh, focusing on the smaller towns, the one and a half percent, I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's a, a lot of people have a hard time with the 1% rule. So when you're throwing out 1.5, I think that is actual reality, you know, because, uh, uh, a lot of the small, small investors who are buying single family homes, they, uh, they buy something that, uh, you're saying two to 300 net per door. I think they're lucky if they're getting two to 300 gross per door. And the next thing you know, hot water heater goes out and they blow their any cash flow for the year. Mm. You're yeah. kind of putting in a buffer there, um, a, a, quite a bit more buffer to accommodate those type of things. Yeah. Well, if you don't have cash flow on your properties, then you're not really achieving the goal of like passive income and financial freedom yet. I mean, I would still rather buy 1% rentals than no rentals. You know what I mean? Because Mm -hmm. rents will gradually go up over time. Your mortgage will get paid down. The value you'll still build wealth and, and, and probably create a cash flow situation. If you could maybe do some improvements, drive the rents up, try to do Airbnb, you could try to get creative. Um, but yeah, it's, it's almost more of like a long-term kind of an appreciation play with those one percenters. Cause you're not getting $300 hitting your bank account every month. You're getting like $50 or nothing or whatever that is. Sure. So with the whole uh, COVID-19 and uh, coronavirus and some of the unrest we're seeing in some of these cities right now, have what other strategies what have what have you changed on like re, go, like you we mentioned previously you might even have some people who don't want you coming through their house like how have you mm-hmm. been accommodating uh reviewing some of these properties or sending somebody in on site you know i haven't really had to do anything that differently um other than what we kind of already discussed i think having to go back to direct to seller marketing to bypass the wholesalers and the realtors and kind of get your hands on some better deals was, and and then looking in those fringe areas is really um, all I've had to do because I'm not a wholesaler. I'm not doing, I'm not going into people's houses like at scale. So those onesie twosies has not been, it hasn't been a challenge for me to get access to people's houses Also, the mailing list that I mail is vacant homes, which that data is probably no more than about 50% accurate if it's actually vacant or not. Mm. But a decent amount of the houses that we look at are vacant too. Sure. 
Have you been trying any other strategies regarding that list? I've run into quite a few people who have been skip tracing the whole list and actually making cold calls. Oh, really? Um, I've only done direct mail. You know, I just don't like the whole phone call thing. I like Mm -hmm. the direct mail where it's a little bit of a softer reach out. I know that the skip trace cold calling thing works really well as far as cost goes and the text blasting. Those seem to be, I guess, Facebook ads seems to be working pretty well for a lot of people too. Right. Um, but I like stuff like that. Like I would, the next thing I would probably do would be Facebook ads that way. Cause I want people calling me, you know, I want mm-hmm. people clicking on the ad and filling out a squeeze page to talk to me or calling me off a letter versus me kind of desperately reaching out to them. Um, so no, I haven't personally tried anything. The good, the good news is, is when you decide to just be a buy and hold investor, your marketing is like this tiny little machine. Mm. You know, I send out 1500 letters a month. I get 15 calls a month. You know, that's like, what is that for a week? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's easy to process and manage on your own. And it's more than enough for you to do a, a deal or two a month. And, you know, like it's simple, you know? And so right. I think for buy and hold, if you're like, God, direct to seller marketing, just like, do I really have to do that, Brian? Just, I, I just wanted to buy a rental property. And now you're telling me I got to send out letters and talk to sellers. Well, how many properties do you want to buy a year? You know, if you want to buy five this year, you know, you might only have to talk to, um, I don't know, 30 people or something, let's say over the whole year, you know, that's like three people a month. You know, it's not, it's not anything like wholesaling where you're literally like grinding the phones, like you're in a boiler room or something. So, so when the person calls in for that first time, what do you typically say? Like, is there uh um, I, it, it sounds like your marketing kind of sets the stage a little better than most, you know, uh, when, uh, I think it, it's almost a little jarring for people to call me because when they'll get a, right now we have a campaign going out and it's got the Google street photo of their house. And I had somebody call me yesterday who's, who's mad saying, well, how dare you take a photo of my house? Mm-hmm. Um, I still call those people back. Uh, yeah, but, but, uh, it's, it's kind of interesting the way you're doing it and the message you're sending because I'm sure that that transition to uh, verbal communication is is softer. It's yeah. not as jarring. Yeah, they know what they're calling me for. You know, I don't even answer the calls live most of the time. So I leave a voicemail and they say, you called about my property or you sent me a letter about the property. And when I call them, we just start talking about the property and, you know, it's, it's the typical, what is your reason for selling, uh, that kind of conversation. Uh, something that I am, I regretfully am trying to really nail down now instead of getting started early is seller financing. You know, it's, I'm mm-hmm. like, why, why haven't I been doing deals like that? Um, and so I'm asking everyone, you know, is his owner financing an option? What's your reason for selling? Is it rented? You know, what kind of lease are the tenants on? What kind of shape is it in? Um, And I'm just doing a little intake form and then just getting back to them uh, with, you know, I'll usually do like a cash offer and a seller financing offer. 
And, um, yeah, that's pretty much how it goes. It's pretty simple. Yeah. No, I, I've seen a lot more people doing that too, where you, that's, that's an interesting strategy. Instead of just off doing a cash offer, you give them choices, um, and mm-hmm. in doing, in giving them choices, uh, I hate to say that it's, it's not necessarily a trick. It's just that they, they kind of forget that, uh, no is the third option. Yeah. You know? Yeah, totally. I actually, I, I saw you, um, in a picture on stage with Matt Terrio. Yeah. I don't know if you're in one of his groups or you're one, at one of his events. Um, so I know you obviously are, 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 are connected with him. Uh, and he, he says that too. It's just like the three option letter. Yep. The you, three you option just pick letter one, two or three, but it's not just that, but it's also the fact that you can literally offer them what they want. If they'll give you the terms you want. Right. I think I was interviewing Matt on my podcast one time and he tricked me. He was like, Brian, um, he's like, would you buy a house from me that's worth $1 million for $2 million? And I was like, no. And he's like, well, wait, you know, I haven't told you the terms yet. He's like, what if the terms are, you know, you only have to pay $10 a month for the next thousand years, you know, then you would do it for any price. Right. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Like you can, you know, I said two to $300 a month net per door Mm -hmm. with seller financing. You can just think about, well, okay, what payment could I make to them per month that would still leave me that. And no matter what the purchase price is, you can just set the monthly payment at the amount that still leaves you that cash flow. Mm -hmm. Um, And of course, I guess you wouldn't like, ridiculously overpay, but you could like, if someone wanted a hundred grand for a house and the cash offer was like 60, you could be like, okay, I'll give you the hundred, but it's going to be, you know, $2,000 down and monthly payments of $200, you know, for the next 10 years, principal Mm -hmm. only payments or something like that. Right. And some people will take that because, you know, they, they, some people are apparently are just so stuck on, I must get a hundred thousand dollars and no one will offer them that. And you're like, there is a way where you can get a hundred thousand, but you're going to have to wait five years to get right. that, you know? And so yeah. I think that's the other beauty in, in having the multiple offers. So, well, you know, I, I really appreciate you being on the show. Was there anything that we should have probably chatted about that we didn't cover here yet today? Hmm. Were you going to say something? Oh, I was going to say, you mentioned a podcast. I didn't know you had a podcast yourself. Like where would people catch that? Yeah. The podcast is called 12 houses to freedom. You know, it's um, based upon the fact that most people, the average American could actually pay their bills with 12 rental properties at the numbers we discussed, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, um, that's where most people find me is the podcast 12 houses to freedom. So you guys want to go check that out. That'd probably be a great thing to, um, if you want a little more. Yeah. I, I like that concept because a lot of the numbers that, uh, a lot of we've, we've chatted about, you know, on other podcasts there, there, you know, you, even here, you mentioned a seven figure business, that number sounds insurmountable to, to most mm-hmm. people. But when you break it down to 12, 
properties. That reminds me when I when I first started out, I I actually had on my mirror in the bathroom. I started with uh, a total of all my bills, and then mm. every time I I acquired another property, I'd subtract the uh, the net the net per door I was receiving so I could see myself working down to zero. I, I thought it was just a good exercise for me. It's not it's exactly what, yeah. Like if, let's say you spend $300 a month on groceries or something, which maybe it's probably more than that nowadays, but like one rental that nets you $300 a month, that house buys your groceries every month. Mm-hmm. And then if your car payment's $600 a month, the next two to three rentals you buy, they pay for your car payment, you know? And so, yeah, you're just knocking things off one at a time. Right. And that also reminds me of another thing is that my students that reach financial freedom the fastest definitely have the lowest bills. You right. know what I mean? Like I coach guys who are like, yeah, honestly, my bills are like two grand a month, Brian. I'm like, okay. You know, you could probably get enough rentals to make two grand a month, like in your first year of doing this, if you hustle a little bit. Mm-hmm. Think about that. A one-year retirement plan, that's all assuming that you don't ever increase your expenses, but you can as long as you increase your cash flow too, or you go do something you love, you know, and that's the last thing I'd say is a lot of people think like, well, man, I, lo- I just really wish like I could uh, teach like whitewater rafting lessons or they have some like passion that they would love to do if they could only get free from their job and all that stuff. And they're like, and I only need, you know, $2,500 a month to do that. I'm like, well, how much does it make pay to, you know, teach whitewater rafting lessons? They're like, well, man, you know, you can only really make about $1,500 a month doing that. It's seasonal. That I'm like, dude, that means you only need another thousand from rental properties. And between the thing you love that you're going to be doing anyways and the passive income, you pay your bills and you have your ideal lifestyle all wrapped up with a bow at that point. Right. So, you know, I, I think, you know, we, we covered quite a bit of ground here and, and uh, I like to try to wrap up a few things with, with some like summarizing a couple things. One, one of the big ones is, when it comes to marketing, being unique, being a little bit more authentic, kind of trying to stand out from the crowd because, uh, like I said, you, you're, just, you're just one big conglomerate of people sending out the same type of marketing and, and uh, you're kind of getting lost in the noise. So I like that tip, be a little authentic and, and being unique in your marketing. Um, you focused on the the Burr method and the seventy percent of the purchase price purchase price plus any repairs. Um, I think a lot of people lose sight of that, especially in heavy competition areas. And when we initially said one percent, you pushed back and even said, "Yeah, you probably need to be closer to one point five percent." That's a big tip, and I think that's that's a mindset that people probably need to settle in on. Um, I also liked the getting, getting out your calculator and showing how to how to run that quick math. That was that was great. Um, and then the population level of of focusing around some of those smaller communities around some of the bigger cities where some of the marketing may not typically be reaching. Um, that's a, that's a great tip as well because those cities are likely going to be growing into those communities, and uh, it's a great way to get some of those lower cost rentals. And then lastly, 
uh, I really like your concept of 12 houses to houses to freedom that it's not as big of a hurdle as, as some people might believe or have that mindset. Um, is there anything else that we covered today that, that you think we should probably uh, call out one more time? No, I think you, you nailed it there, man. And just to tack on what you said about the 12 houses thing, you know, uh, I, I, I hired Kent Clothier to be my coach throughout the wholesaling days. And, and the biggest thing he taught me is you need to understand your why and why you're doing all this. You know, what mm-hmm. is it that you want from real estate? Like what lifestyle do you want? You know, what do you, do you want to see? Like you've got a guitar back there. You've got some books, you know, like maybe you would love to spend time reading every morning and playing the guitar for 30 minutes or something like that. A lot of people tell me I'd love to just, you know, be, have time to meditate and, and, and go to the gym or whatever, or I'd love to be more present with my kids. Once we dug into like defining what the lifestyle was that we really wanted from real estate, one of the biggest epiphanies we had is that a lot of those things we could already be doing right now, even without passive income. We were just mm-hmm. kind of creating a story that says one day I'll take better care of my health. One day I'll spend more time with my family and friends, you know, sure. Passive income will help accelerate those things, but, um, don't delay living your ideal lifestyle any longer than you possibly have to, because we, none of us know how much time we have on this earth. The 12 houses saying is kind of representative of that because it's like, hey, boom, technically you could probably pay your bills with 12. Can you jump off there, quit your job and try to scale from there? And, you know, worst case scenario is you got to go back and get a job. A job will always be there waiting for you. So that's just the last thing I'd encourage people to think about. Sure. And I don't think I could ask in this podcast any better than that. So I'm going to, we're going to sign off there. I really thank you for your time, Brian. Um, and uh, once again, they can find you on your podcast, but if, where do you have a website or how would they find you on social media? Yeah. Instagram is brian.elwood. Brianelwood.net is the website. You can email me if you want to reach out brian at brianelwood.net. Well, I, again, really appreciate your time. I hope we can do it again sometime. I'd love to, man. Thank you so much for having me on, and thanks for all the good work you do getting the message out there. So thanks again. We'll catch you soon. We've put a lot of effort into providing useful content, and if you've found value in the show and have any interest in supporting us with a small donation, head over to patreon.com slash housedudes. And if you have any thoughts or questions, shoot us an email at info at housedudes.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at housedudes. And if you like what you're hearing, head over to iTunes, subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It really helps other investors out there find the show. And remember, massive positive impact requires massive positive action. We'll see you next time. This episode is brought to you by housedudes.com. Do you have time to actively manage flipping and rentals yourself? If so, go for it. If you live in a market that won't cash flow or don't have the time to do all the work, are you just out of luck? If there was a way to participate more passively, would that appeal to you? I'm sure you have questions about how the process works and what to do next. 
If that's the case, fill out the form on housedudes.com slash investors, and we'll reach out to see if you are a good fit for our business. This is First Come, First Serve, and we will have to stop taking applications when our goals are met. See you at housedudes.com slash investors. a man what to do with his money, but if you ain't investing in property, then you're dumber than a dummy. I'm not dumb. I'm smart. Well, buy property. That's my advice. <laughs>